Promise Note Promises Women in Motion When we talk about performance, we most often first conjure some singular body in motion and that body's consciousness of its movement. We see and are ourselves conscious of some skin, some limbs, some style, some blur of movement, at once artificial and authentic, of performance and performativity itself. But bodies performing are not bodies alone. For who do they perform for and who with? The fourth Master Symposium in the series Women in the Arts and Leadership on October 7th and 8th, 2020 at the Art Institute at the FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel was dedicated to ideas and iterations of performance and to the way in which its embodied practices, its bodies, are often framed or received by narrow notions, not only of gender, race, class, geography, technology and temporality, but of what performance itself means and entails. A body in motion, for example. Whose body, though, and what kind of movement? Movement, indeed, is always both, suggesting something singular, a body in tender, private effort, and something collective. Presence, proximity, voice, movement and performative relations are the tools by which many contemporary artists in unprecedented ways continue to explore how to create equitable space for our ever-regulated, duly delimited bodies. This symposium serves those practices, examining how performances has become the means by which so many artists and thinkers reflect on and denounce political systems that foster inequity, violence and binary relations at their core. Our various guests made explicit this set of relations. Between singularity and collectivity, authenticity and performativity, a language of narrativity, both visual and linguistic, movement both, physical and intellectual, the complicated desire to perform for others and with others, and to read such performances correctly, was a recurring idea and impulse of the Women in Motion Symposium as it continued with performances, conversations, screenings and readings by artists, thinkers, poets, filmmakers, composers and teachers. Performers all including Kat Anderson, Julieta Aranda, Barbara Casavecchia, Mayra Rodriguez-Castro, Pan De Jing, Dorota Gaveda and Egle Kulpokaite, Ingela Iermann, Pauline Curnier-Jardin, Banu Kapil, Lynn Kwasi, Isabel Lewis, Tessa Mars, Sonia Fernandez-Pan, Sadie Plant and Martina-Sophie Wildberger. Alter Ego Featuring Tessa Mars I am Tessa Mars and I was born and raised in Haiti, Haiti in the Caribbean, first Black Republic. Um, 
uh, in a country that was a former French colony that got its independence in 1804 through a, a slave-led revolution, which is a very funda foundational event in the history of this country that has that that in many ways is still happening because it has many repercussions through time and all over the Caribbean and all over the world, I dare say. Um, my practice uh, is mostly uh, uh, image creation, I would say, although I veer into different mediums also. But uh, right now I want to talk to you about uh, the creation of this character that, has, that is at the core of my practice, and that is an alter ego that's called Tessaline. So I created this alter ego called Tessaline in 2015. And Tessaline is a portmanteau name that I made out of the name of the main hero of the Haitian revolution, which is called Desaline. So it's just my first name and his name put together into one. And to understand why I did that, you need to understand the place heroes occupy in Haitian society. And uh, in, in many ways, I like to say that to every Haitian, there's, if you go back enough in time, there's a hero in the family because we are all, descendants of people that fought to the revolution, and although some of their names may be lost, we still consider them to be very important members of the family, very important to who we are now. But the top of the crop, the main revolutionary leaders, the top of the military apparatus are very, very present in our everyday lives. They are, their name is, in not every conversation, but very often evoked. But they're also used in a very political fashion as figureheads also, you know, um, promoting very subtle sometimes political agendas that of course have nothing to do with what you would imagine they, they represent. And in 2015, when I created this character, there was a particular movement that was called the Children of Desaline. And this name really uh, question, uh, interrogated me because I, I had been wondering for some time about what the ways in which we use these heroes in our um, collective lives, but also on a more personal level. And also the fact that as a woman, I felt very deprived of figures I felt were more representative of me. Because I must say that most of these heroes are males. And uh, male fighters, like I said, top of the military leader um, apparatus. But also that the, the few women they talk about are coming in a, in a very punctual fashion. For example, the three most well-known women that, that are revolutionary figures are one, a, sister, a seamstress that, sew, that um, was the one to sew the Haitian flag, uh, a priestess of Vodou, which is uh, the core Haitian spiritual belief, 
And also uh, a crazy, uh, a lady that is said to have been crazy. And she, what, what she's known for was for collecting the remains of uh, Desalines and, and burying them. So I have always felt that, in fact, this revolutionary story was incomplete because we did not really have this perspective of, of women. Because uh, for me, it's half the story that is told. And uh, I, I felt that I needed to see myself in this story. And so I decided to take on the father of the nation, Papa de Salina, I was called, and bring him into my own life and develop a conversation, a personal conversation between, uh, between him and me history and me between my country and me and all the women. I must say in this particular example, it's just me adding a little face to a character that already exists and that face being mine. Also, I mean, not painted the color of flesh, but this is, this is mine. And this will set, I think, the tone for many, many iterations of the way I create Tessaline in the way that there's a lot of humor often, but also a very, in a many ways, Tessaline is very aware that she's performing, that she's an actress, that she's uh, talking to a viewer and inviting in, in, in conversation, inviting to partake in the irony, but also to question history with her. And I must say that Tesseline has have been used for me as a way to insert myself in history, to tell stories that I feel have been missing. So reclaiming a voice, a voice that is, it's, 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 a, it's a, for me a move that is empowering and uh, allows me to take, to take on traumas both on a national level when it comes to relationship with the exterior, with colonialism, and but also more in my personal life. Talk about things that are maybe taboo, like uh, this, this series that I'm showing you right now, uh, part of a four image uh, series of painting and drawings uh, that's called After Rape. So uh, talking about child abuse and talking about finding power into oneself, using the ancestors, if you want, using the tools that history left for us as a way to to push on through and to move forward. And so you will see that often the character Tesseline, she has this green on her face and she has sunglasses, a hat, which is the traditional uh, hat Tesseline is said to have worn, and also that she has a weapon. Because it is about fighting in a way, it is about in a series, what I call a little bit later on, the good fight, uh, 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 a necessary step in self-liberation, which doesn't always in, uh, um, involve an enemy that, that is flesh, but uh, uh, that involves fighting against um, or resisting against um, uh, concepts that are bigger than you and or that try to belittle you or corner you into tight positions. So for me, it, it, it's, it, 
Tessaline is her own character, but in many ways she's also a costume because when you take off the hats and you take off the glasses and you take off all the um, adore the garments, what is left is, is me. Uh, we are very different uh, attitudes and characters, but uh, th there's still this element of trying on something and 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 really acting and uh, proposing proposing maybe a, a bit of levity sometimes in, in a very serious subject while still keeping in, in mind how important it is that that we talk about these things. What I wanted to show is how this character Tessaline is putting on the elements that, that makes who she is. She's putting on a hat, she's dressing up, she's taking on her swords, and then she's going to perform battle, a battle that has been fought way back in the past, that is one of the most military, uh, most acclaimed military victories against the enemy, and the importance of, of rethinking how, how the role or the importance of these battles, of these successes in her lives, but also the way we tell, we transmit this history. Um, what, what has been happening, and I think what I wanted to focus on um, maybe a bit today, is the process through which I, cre I, I come up with these images. Because for me, it's, it's very much about ritual, creating a, a ritual for myself. And uh, I must say that to, to, to come up with the images from the year 2018, I've started filming myself. I film myself performing the attitudes, the gestures, the, um, the facial expressions that I want for my character. And then meditating on how to best uh, create a history out, out, of, out of it. So this particular series, that is called The Good Fight. I made for the 2018, during the 2018 Berlin Vienna. And it is about the way, the relationship between me and the character. So if, if you see on the left of the image, this is, I would say, me. <laughs> And on the right, this is this is Kasseline with the horns, the epaulets, the, the weapon. And I wanted to, to show the ways in which in my personal life, this character has become more and more involved in how I see myself, but also how I construct myself both as an artist and as a person. And it came through this idea of, of the good fight being the necessary process of looking within and looking without for the things that need to be said, the things that need to be corrected, and for the transformation to happen. I'm not sure if I'm very clear about, about what I'm saying, but I, I will invite you to ask me questions <laughs> about this. But what has happened with this use of film is that often my images have become more, more sequential. I've always been very narrative in the way I use this character because there's always story, because I am a storyteller. But now the images have really become, like you could see with, that, with, with your eyes that you could complete them and have 
this animation happen and that you could see really the progress of, of what's happening, of, of the gestures. And looking now at, um, at my usage of film, I've been really thinking about the, the role of this footage in the practice and also the, the thinking about the possibility or even the necessity of having this be a part that's accessible to the public or that that is shown so yes yeah, so in the end i guess what what i would say is that it, it i felt that there was a natural progression between in the way that the the the, the way my practice is evolving and the way I consider the character and the relationship I, I have with them. And uh, the, for me, the idea of, of performing tasseling is both something that is already happening in the images themselves, the performing of a character, but the performing of history and the, the bridging of time um, between the past and the present, the past in the present, but also the fruit of events and their consequences through time. But I mean, the, the progression is, is feeling quite natural, but also is, is a way for me to keep challenging myself and, and think about the many different ways I can still use this character and do the work that I want to do and have the conversations that, that I want to have. It was just on my mind when you just said also, you know, the consequences of the past, but something you said before about the ancestors. Um, and I was wondering about how you see like the ancestors performing through history, but performing the present. Like how do the ancestors perform for you in the present? I, I'd never thought about like kind of ancestors or these, these figures as performers, but in a way they do. And, um, and, and do you perform through, I mean, because you're performing through them in some sense, no? This relationship with the ancestors is really linked to to Haitian spirituality, if you want. Um, I, it's it's sometimes some things I hesitate to to bring up because there are so many preconceived notions, and you don't always have the time to to clear a different spot. But um, let's say Haitian voodoo is really about the honor at the the base of it is honoring your ancestors entering in conversation with your ancestors, asking for guidance, but also the real, the intimate belief that you are surrounded by the experience and the, the energy that these ancestors had in, in their lives and um, in being blessed enough to be able to access this energy. So during a, a spiritual event, if you want during a ceremony, you try to enter in connection and thus you call the ancestor to come into play right during the ceremony and they inhabit you. So there's a lot, lot of, uh, of uh, if you want the manifestation of, of this ancestral energy or this ancestral spirits. So, so in a way, and, and I must say that Desaline, they call Papa Desaline, is, has achieved the privileged ancestral status. So, so in a way, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything that is unheard of. But at the same time, 
I must say, looking through the reaction that the Haitian community has had to this character, I find uh, uh, that they find uh, uh, that they find it. I guess it's very surprising for some reason, and uh, maybe uh, controversial at times, but also very. It strikes people, I guess, because I'm a, uh, it's a female body. And it's also a character, which is the father, very male, very in a lot of aggressivity. Some, sometimes see as something, uh, someone very intransigent and not willing to negotiate on, on certain points, which is, uh, I guess, traits that, that are seen as, as typically male. But um, it has never felt for me like this much of a transgression because whether they be male or female, there are heroes for every Haitian, if you want, and it's up to us or to build, if we want or not, because of course the figure of the hero itself is a, is, can be a problematic uh, figure because the, the, the story of the hero is often uh, unique, you know, um, this one voice. And, and it's by its, its simple existence, then it, it can obscure the voice of everyone else that, that, that was part of the same revolution. But it, I, I think it's still something that is worth thinking about. And, and, and if you will, asking, ask the ancestors about. Is Tessaline alone? Because I do sense, of course, that this is could be perceived as very transgressive. I think in post-colonial Haiti, to position an artist, a woman, history, the ancestors, the connectivity, like, you know, in the forefront, you are bringing it like she's not hiding, she's there. She's taking that place. And that place was not meant for her. But, uh, but is she alone, or how does she find, like, she's also not only in conversation with the ancestors, but I see her originating new ones. So there is a future after her. And that's what interests me of the work a lot, because it's impressive how you and some of the artists actually, funnily enough, also from Republica Dominicana, like Fidelay, Baez, for example, yeah. that they yes. really, you have like an enormous uh, interest in this tactic of uh, forefronting um, the woman body and in a certain new ancestor way, which I think is, is, is a new fundament. So it would be nice if you say something about it. Uh, when I started creating this character, it was as a point where I felt the need for the solitude, if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I, I was not really inviting the, the, maybe the voice of my contemporaries really into my conversation. Neither was I thinking, I think at least at, at the beginning about uh, the whole community um, that, that sustains these, these heroes or maybe the, all the other women that surround me that are part of my network. It was really a solitary conversation. If you want, uh, like the Christian sometimes says, developing a personal relationship with uh, this, this, uh, this figure of history. 
And uh, as, as you will see often in the images, uh, I mean, in most really that, that uh, precede 2020, um, the character is by itself. Or if it's not by itself, it's uh, uh, might the alter ego with me, meaning that it's it's still a, a very um, a lone uh, uh, situation. Or or in the case of the little dolls, many iterations of, of of the same person. But in in recent times, I've been um, opening opening the work to include this community, to include um, different types of female energies or attitudes, because choosing Gasalina was not saying that all the uh, um, other women and the roles they played in the revolution are are little. Um, I just wanted to tackle the figure of this paternal character, but it is important for me, and more and more so, to include how everything is articulated together. How Tessaline can exist because there are all different types of uh, attitudes and all different forms of resistance. And I think that maybe could be interesting when the, um, the participants go to see the, the show, is how I, in, in occurrence with only one other character, how I establish a relationship or a dialogue with, uh, in, in the work that is there, there is one other character that, that is present accompanying Tesseline and, and how I, I, I create a relationship with them, even in the case where they're not touching. You know, they're still evolving together, going in the same direction, even if they're not looking the same way, um, the same uh, <laughs> direction. Um, yes, yeah, so so it's also which is a relationship of support because in the end, and that's that's my whole thinking that the hero cannot exist and 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 in fact, if he's alone, really is is nothing. And so I, it's really broadening the the scope of the conversation and also maybe bring humanity back in a way in, in, into the character. And what I, I've seen happening is that. Um, the more I draw her, the less and less she has the, the signs of the military status um, because it's not needed. You know, in the end, I don't think the resistance depends, um, fighting resistance depends on, on, uh, on a, not a label, not, but as um, with, on the signs. Of, of, of a structure that is uh, maybe a traditional military or something like that. It, it I mean, take away the, the signs and the revolution would still have happened because it was in the belief, especially in the case of the Haitian revolution, which is, I mean, I think everybody should learn about it, that, that is, this is the real fight for the belief that all human, all, Every person is a human being, be they black or not. It was a fight for self-liberation, for a reclamation of, of a freedom that was already there. It was not, we were not fighting for, um, for something that didn't belong to us. We were just reclaiming it, reclaiming the freedom from the, and reclaiming our, our bodies from enslavement.
King Kong Girl, Peter Jackson's 2005 reboot of King Kong begins in the early years of the last century. As modern industrialized America is being built, we bid farewell to old forms of entertainment, burlesque shows, and vaudeville, and prepare to welcome new modern forms of entertainment and control, cinema and porn. A duplicitous, megalomaniacal film director lures a blonde woman onto a ship. She is the only woman aboard. Their destination is Skull Island, which does not appear on any map since no one has ever returned. Again, Skull Island. What is a Skull Island? It's the island of the mind. Primitive peoples, fetal creatures, little girls with dark, matted hair, menacing toothless old crones, all howling under a torrential downpour. They kidnap the blonde woman to offer as a human sacrifice to King Kong. They truss her up, and an old woman puts a necklace on her before she is delivered up to the giant gorilla. Previous humans who wore this necklace were gobbled up like cocktail party snacks. This particular King Kong has no prick, no balls, no tits. There is no shot that allows us to assign a gender to the beast. It is neither male nor female. It is just black and hairy. A pensive, herborious creature with a penchant for humor and displays of strength. There is no scene of erotic tension between Kong and the blonde. Beauty and the beast tame and protect each other. They are affectionate and gentle with each other, but it's all res resoutly asexual. The island, Skull Island, is teeming with creatures that are neither male nor female, repulsive centipedes with slippery thrusting tentacles that are wet and pink as women's cunts, worms with heads like cocks that open to reveal toothed vaginas they use to bite off the heads of the crew. Other creatures more closely relate to gender iconography, but of polymorphous sexuality, hairy spiders, and a herd of identical gray Bontosaurus that look like oversized spermatozoa. Here, King Kong serves as a metaphor for the sexuality that existed before gender distinctions politically imposed in the late 19th century. King Kong is beyond female, beyond male. It exists on the cusp between man and animal, adult and child, good and evil, primitive and civilized, black and white, hybrid before the enforced binary. The island in the film is the possibility of a super powerful polymorphous sexuality. What cinema wishes to capture, to display, to distort, and eventually eliminate. At first, when the man comes to rescue her, the woman hesitates. He wants to save her, to take her back to the city, to heteronormative normality. Beauty knows that she is safe with King Kong, but she also knows that she needs to leave his huge reassuring paw to return to the world of men, where she will have to fend for herself. She decides to follow the man who has come to fetch her, to deliver her from safety and bring her back to the city where she will once again be in constant danger. Cue a slow motion close-up of the blonde's eyes as she realizes that she has been used. She has served only to capture this animal, this beast, to betray her ally, her protector, this creature with which she has an affinity. 
In choosing heterosexuality and life in the city, she is choosing to sacrifice that which is powerful within herself, that which roars and beats its chest, that which rules over this island. A sacrificial offering had to be made. King Kong is then shackled and exhibited in New York. She must terrorize the crowds, but her chains must be strong enough that the crowds in turn can be controlled as they are by pornography. People want to get up close and personal with what is bestial. They want to quiver without any collateral damage. But damage there will be, for the beast escapes its handlers as it does in the theater. The problem we face today is not how sex or violence can be reclaimed, but the reverse. It is the fact that the notions we use as spectacle cannot be reclaimed. Sex and violence cannot be domesticated by performance. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Women's Center for Excellence, a research project between the Art Institute at the FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel, and Institut du Souche, a joint venture with Krajina Kulcic and Art Stations Foundation CH. The Women's Center for Excellence is conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of women in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit dertank.ch. That's dertank.ch. Or request information or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. That's info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Institut du Souche is part of Museum Souche, an initiative by ArtStations Foundation CH and Grazina Kulcic. More information can be found on museumsouche.ch. That's museumsouche.ch. Moderated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Research assistant Alice Wilke. Editing and voiceover Elena Cesar. Music Niklas Kammermeier. Press and Communication Anna Franke. Technical Support Konrad Siegel, Christina Pavlovich, Vitals Brun, Chris Handberg, Steven Schoch and Esther Hunziger. Copyright by Institut Kunst, HGK, FHNW and Institut du Souche, Artstations Foundation CH 2021.